All right, so welcome to River Valley Christian Church of Lake Elmo. I am Paul. Uh, so, are you ever in a funk where you just don't feel like you're <laughs> like you're holy, or you should like just in one of those moments? And and I'm in one of those. It's been that for the last week, and and then I get to get up in front and share. It's like, oh man, this is even worse, it seems like. And and then to top it off, God laid on my heart to share something that's like, well, now it's even worse. He goes, Paul, share on be holy because I am holy. And I'm like, oh, this is this is great. So he laid that on my heart, so I... I they, Obviously, it speaks about that in Leviticus, but I'm going to read in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as you who has called, but but as he who has called you holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And the interesting part in there it says, Don't try to be holy, it just says be. So it's really not based on feelings. It just says be holy. But it was interesting how God does all these, this timing because this last weekend we had our, uh, our, our immediate family get together. So, um, my boys and their wives came over for the weekend. And so saying like, be holy as I'm holy. So that's like for me to say to my kids, be a Daniels because I'm a Daniel. Daniels. And it's like they grew up that way. So they're like, well, we're a Daniels. Okay, we're going to be a Daniels. But the interesting part is, is both my boys are married. And so their wives are now Daniels. And they are not treated any differently than the rest of my kids. The reason being is because they made a covenant with my sons, and there is no separation. For the rest of their lives... They are Daniels. Well, the interesting part is with that is because they made a covenant with my sons. When I accepted Jesus into my heart, I made a covenant with Jesus. So whatever is Jesus, whatever he has, I get to have. And you're like, well, that's kind of arrogant. Well, he's the one that invited me. So obviously, in his eyes, I had value. So he accepted me. And so with that, it's like, so when it's asking to be holy as he is holy, it's just resting in who he is. That's the access that we have to God our Father is because we get to approach God the Father with Jesus on our side. And so when he's asking us to be holy, it's actually not as difficult as you think it is. Because you just have to rest in it. It's not based on feelings. It's just based on that relationship, that covenant that you made. And you can never take that away. It's, it's like a marriage covenant. Actually, it's even better than a marriage covenant, but it's, it's, you cannot ever take it away. So thank you for Jesus doing that. So let's rise and we'll pray. Father, I thank you for the perfect gift of Jesus. You had such a great plan in in place to bring us all back into that covenant. And it's such a great covenant. It's a free covenant. It's basically just saying, I accept you, Jesus. You are so awesome. Thank you for looking at me and just loving on me and accepting me into your family. And with that, we just come to worship you. We worship you. We worship you because you are so worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. 
Father, we do cry holy. We do say that you are holy. We've even heard this morning, you've, you put it in your heart, in the heart of Paul, to talk about being holy even as you are holy. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that you led us into this, that you've, you've invited us into your family, and you've allowed us to be, to be in you. And because of that, we have all the benefits, all the blessings, and we can live holy even when it's not possible for this flesh to do. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for blessing us. And Lord, we give you the honor, you the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Well, why don't you greet at least six, six people? Well, it's so good to see everybody. It must be spring. You're starting to thaw out and can make it, can make it into service. I'm so glad. People have been traveling. People have been rehabilitating. People have been... And you're coming back out. It's kind of like, kind of like the, never mind, I'll quit talking. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. So, so I've been pastoring now. I've been, I've been in ministry, full-time ministry for over 30 years. Started out as a youth pastor. And uh, I uh, Became a, an assistant pastor, and then an, an associate pastor, and then a pastor, and and uh, I figured over the last thirty years, if I preach at least one sermon a week, that's fifty-two per year, and there's always more than that. Fifty-two times thirty, somebody do the math. Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred and sixty. Wow, that's that's very precise. Fifteen hundred and sixty, um, and it's probably more. I've probably preached over two thousand times in the last thirty years, and I and I think you know, uh, I, I recently had somebody say to me, they because I said, I does it seem like I'm just kind of repeating myself, like I'm just you know just using the same stuff, and he goes, if you do it. If you te- preach two sermons alike, you think you're just sitting there repeating yourself. So what's on my heart this morning is we've been uh, just got done with another series and and uh, been praying all week about what the Lord would have us go into and start to study. And all I, just every day as I prayed about it, I kept getting faith. I just kept getting faith. Amen. And I'm thinking, man, I, I've already preached a sermon on faith. And he said, When? I don't know. It's been a long. It's probably thirty years ago, and I just don't want to repeat myself. So, but I, you know, I've been I've been meditating on faith this week, and and I think you know that's I grew up, uh, not grew up, but I after I came back to the Lord and and was in hundred percent fully on, uh, I cut you know just cut my spiritual teeth on on Kenneth Hagin, you know, teach my people faith, you know, he he, he all of his sermons, every time he preached was on faith. And you know, and I just got to okay. I know it, man. I know. I mean, I get it. I understand. I've heard all the examples. I've heard, and I'm thinking, why? Why would we need to preach? Because because many people haven't heard it before. A lot of people haven't been in in a church where they they preach on faith. Where they, I mean, we, you know, you're thinking, and and right now already your minds are started, and we've got young people who've never heard it because I've never, you know, I haven't preached it. But (laughs) in your mind, you're going, well, faith. Yeah, I have faith. You know, of course you have faith. You know, it's impossible to it's impossible to be born again without faith. But what is faith? What is faith? So we're going to spend some time. I don't know if it's just one Sunday or fifty. I'm not sure. But uh, we're going to we're going to talk about faith. So turn with me to Matthew chapter six. Very, you know, very memorable. Very everybody knows these these scriptures. It's the Beatitudes. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the uh, the sermon that Jesus preached during his sermon. That's written down. I mean, it's pretty much written down word for word. And years ago, I was just thinking about the Bible and thinking about the you know what's in the Bible, and I was thinking, you know. Wouldn't it be great if we had a sermon that Jesus actually preached, and we could just we could just learn, you know, hear what he preached? And, and I was like, oh wait a second, that's right, we have the we have the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus actually preached that sermon. Somebody wrote it down, and here it is. So uh, Matthew six is kind of in the middle of it, but this is the part I want to talk about. Matthew six, beginning with verse twenty five, says, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life." 
what you will eat or what you will drink or what, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So here, this sermon was written over 2,000 years ago, and it is just as prevalent, just as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. Because people are worrying about what we're going to eat. I don't know about you, but I'm already thinking about lunch. <laughs> Try not to. Try not to think about lunch. But we're, you know, it's like, where are we, you know, where are we going to, you know, not just what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink, where are we going to get enough gas to put in my car to get through the week? Especially with the prices. They're, they're down now again, down. I mean, oh, good, they're $3, you know, $3.09. Yay! Yeah. How many remember 25 cents a gallon? Yeah, yeah. 25 cents a gallon. But everything else cost a nickel back then but that's for those old folks just you know <laughs> where are we going to get this how are we going to pay for that how are we going to make the mortgage how are we going to you know this he's talking to real people and he's meeting them right where they're at how are we going to live how are we going to do this where he says quit worrying amen, amen. <laughs> This, this sermon is the same, it's, it's, it's as prevalent now as it was 2,000 years ago because people are people, life is life, nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. And Jesus is talking about stop worrying. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable or have you no, have you, uh, are you not more value? Wow, that's an interesting way to say that. Then they. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We can't worry ourselves into provision. We can't worry ourselves into health. We can't worry ourselves into anything. If anything, worry steals from you. You know, when you hear the, the news, I don't know about, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw it, but I saw one of the headlines this week. The CDC has a new virus that's coming in. It's coming in. It's killing people. Oh my gosh. Here we go again. Gracious good night. You know, there were viruses 2000 years ago and it was killing people. And Jesus, the God of all the universe, you know, the, the, the God incarnate said, stop worrying. We need to stop worrying. Why? Because there's so much more to life. And that's what he's really saying here is there's so much more to life to do with your time than to worry. We need to stop worrying. That's so easy for you to say. Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But if they were naked, it would be a lot different than if you're naked. So, I mean, I got to worry about this. What am I going to wear? My daughter was three years old. Where is she? Is she in here? She was in here. My daughter was three years old. Deb had to go to church and play. She had to come here and be on the worship team. She goes, you only have one job, just get her dressed. That's all you got to do. I said, okay, that shouldn't, doesn't sound too hard. And she goes, well, good luck. <laughs> she said, there, there's four Sunday dresses hanging in her closet. And what you need to do which I didn't know about girls before, but I learned really quick, you don't tell her, put on this one. She said, you, you give her choices. What do you think of this one? What do you think? You know. So I said, oh, give me a break. Come on. I walked in and I said, good morning, sweetheart. You know, I said, I have to get you dressed. Do you want to wear this dress? No, daddy. Three years old. No, daddy. Okay, I put that one. Take the next one. What do you think of this one? No, Daddy. Did she just walk in? Did she walk in sheepishly? Oh, great. Oh, great. He's talking about me. Third one. How about this one? No, Daddy. I was like, oh, come on. 
Take out the last one. How about this one? No, Daddy, I have nothing to wear. And she falls back into the bed. I knew I had lost the war. Right there. Not just the battle, but I had lost the war. I have nothing to wear. What am I going to wear? Man, there are so many clothes. Do you know, have you ever gone to, to like uh, what, thrift stores? You know, there's piles. Back when I was uh, in the college, there was, uh, what's, what was it called? Uh, rag stock. Yeah. Still is? There's still a rag stock? Sweet. Not a thrift store. They're just making money. You know, it's about money now. But yeah, so, you know, you got just piles and piles and piles of clothes. What are you, why are you worrying about what you're going to wear? Lilies of the field. God, God provides. Verse 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see that? O you of little faith. Now, in studying this out, I was actually very, very surprised. I'm going to tell you a, a factoid about the Bible that you probably never knew. Do you know that the very first mention of faith in the New Testament is that? That's the first mention of the word faith. And, and we know that the Bible is full of, of truth and pointing and, and stories and of faith. Faith is important. We, he expects us to live by faith. And the very first thing that Jesus says publicly about faith is, why are you worrying? Why do you worry about tomorrow? Why do you worry about today? Do you know that you can't add a single minute to your life by worrying? And I think they've proven phys uh, uh, scientifically now that by worrying you actually diminish your life. At least you diminish the quality of your life. So we're, 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 we spend so much time worrying about this and worrying about that and worrying about the other and worrying about things we can't control that we actually take away from the joy of living in the moment, living today. And he's come to give us life and life more abundantly. John 10.10. Christ came to give us life and life more abundantly. Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. Now you're just like, well, wait a second. Now that's not very nice. That's not very nice. Because if I, if I were the one to tell you, well, you don't, you're, you don't have enough faith, you would think, well, who do you think you are? <laughs> who, do you, who, who, who do you think? That's, so, that's mean-spirited. Well, was Jesus mean-spirited? Let it sink in. Just let it sink in. Was Jesus mean-spirited? No. He wasn't mean-spirited. He was love. God is love. Jesus was God, is God. He's the manifest physical form of God on this earth. God is love. Jesus is love. So if Jesus made a statement... See, I, wanna, I actually want to hammer this a little bit. I want to hit this a few times. Because we need to we need to get rid of this connotation that it's bad to tell somebody you need help. You know, it's okay to tell people you need help. Now, people don't like to be told they need help. People people don't like people 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 say they like truth, but the moment many times when you tell them the truth, they don't like it. And that goes for every area of our life. You, you know, I, I, you know, <laughs> I was driving home one day from what's from church. I've shared this before, but I was driving home from church, and Debbie was in the in the passenger seat, and and I, you know, I'll always ask her, "What did you think of the sermon? Is there anything?" You know, blah blah blah. And she goes, "That day it was wonderful. It was wonderful." She goes, "That was amazing. That was a wonderful sermon. That was God." And I was thinking, "Yeah." Because you can't preach like that. 
That's not very nice. Deb and Debbie's not mean spirited, is she? She just tells you the truth. Sometimes she tells you the truth too plainly, but no, she doesn't. But that's the deal. You know, I mean, I wanted to pat on my back, and there, the truth was, John, you can't do that. Anything good happens here this morning, it's because of him. That's truth. That's truth. You can't, you can't live your life so perfectly that, that you supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. The truth is, you need him. Now, I'm just throwing out a bunch of verses. You may recognize them, you may not. But there's a verse that says, in him we live and breathe and have our very being. In him, in God, in him, we live and breathe and have our very being. Do you know that he just said, you can't add a, a one hour to your life. You can't add one second to your life. If he were to remove himself from your life, that's it. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross, what did it say happened? It said that the sun was darkened and the earth shook. Why? Why do you think that happened? It was just kind of a nice effect? You think it was just a night, oh, we got a light show and, you know, rumbles. No, when he died, the cre- it says that he cre- everything that was created was created by him. When he died on that cross, the earth, the, the, the whole it, creation went, whoa. And the sun was darkened and the earth shook. Because without him, there is no life. That's why, you know, Jesus isn't just a crutch to get you through till the, you know, till you die. He, he is, he's a, he's a stretcher. He's an ambulance. You can't make it. Oh, yes, I can. Well, good luck. For those of you who have tried, which is most of you, all of you. Man, my life stunk. I thought it was cool. Oh, I was cool. It's death. Without him, life is death. It's all about heading towards death. But the moment you step over into him, now you're headed towards life. You're in life and you are headed towards life. Huge difference. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles. Gentiles were anybody who weren't Jews. But it also can be used in the New Testament as anybody who's not a believer. Anybody who's not a part of the kingdom or outside of the kingdom. So everybody outside of the kingdom is after these three things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Physical things. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added onto you. Now think about this. I just We don't want to gloss over it. We don't want to just fly through this today. I want this to sink in. He just said, the Gentiles seek after things. They seek after what we can eat, what we can drink, what we can wear, what we can have, what we can consume, what we can, what we can uh, uh, use. But he goes, don't seek after that stuff. What does he say to seek? His kingdom, his righteousness. Seek him. When we seek him, what does it mean to seek him? That means to turn towards him and follow him. Go wherever he looks, just follow him, be with him, be in his presence, be in him. If you're in him, it says that all these things will be added to you. What do you have to do to get food, clothing, 
and water and, and drink. Food, drink, and, wa- and clothing, your, your needs. What do you have to do to get your needs? Thank you for nobody saying work. Now work's part of it, doesn't it? He leads you, then he leads you into work. He leads you into work. I know nobody. Whoever is watching online, if you're, you're lazy, he leads you into work. He leads you into work. Amen. All the parents should be going, Amen. He leads you to work, but it's in him. When you seek him, you find everything that you need. He will provide for you better than you could provide for you. (laughs) Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's, what is the prerequisite for having all these things? All these things. All the, everybody say, all these things. All Turn to somebody and go, all these things. All now you might be wondering, why am I having you say it? Because there's something about faith that when you say it, it sinks in a little bit more. Now if you take notes, that will also sink in more, but very few people take notes anymore. So turn to somebody else and say all these things. All these things except money, your, your salary, right? Oh, that's what it, right. All these things except your salary, right? All these things except your house. I mean, you got to worry about the house. All is all. The Greek base of the word all <laughs> is all. All these things, everything you need, everything you need, he will provide for you. Okay, the whole Old Testament is story after story after story after story after story of where God provided for people. In the middle of the worst possible situations, my favorite Two million people, at least two million people, are trekking across the desert. They're trekking across in Saudi Arabia, is kind of that Arabian Peninsula area. They're trekking across. And, and we, when we were in Israel a few years ago, we were in southern Israel and, and down by Beersheba, and it is nothing but rocks and sand. As far as you can see, rocks and sand. And the tour guide said, oh, you know, the children of Israel would have came up right through this area. I'm thinking, the promised land, yay, rocks and sand. And she made a very important story, or she made a very, very important uh, statement in talking about the, the region. She said, everything here is about water. Everything is about water. Because if you don't have water, you will not make it more than probably less than three days because it's so hot and it's so arid, it's so dry. Everything is about water. Everything is about water. you got two million people coming across the desert and the people go, we don't have any water. That's kind of a big deal, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's just a big deal. If, if, if you're walking across the desert and you don't have any water, it's a big deal. But you could, might, you could possibly find some water somehow, but to have enough water for two million people that are leaving out of Egypt, and they didn't bring enough water to get all the way across the desert, one person maybe would find a, an oasis, you know, a little tiny oasis, dig down, find water, that's awesome. But we're talking about two million people and all of their livestock, And they're they're starting to worry. They're getting nervous here. They're going, wait a second. We need water. We know how important that is. Moses, we need water. And what was Moses' answer? Why are you looking at me? What can I do about it? They're like, oh, sure, you let us out of Israel or out of Egypt. You let us out of Egypt to die here in the desert of thirst. 
What kind of a leader are you? What kind of a man? Or what do you think? And he's going, man, what am I? I I'm just following God. But praise God, he was following God. Because if you follow God, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added on to you. Do you know the story? Do you know the story of the Israelites going across the, 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 the desert and they needed water and they didn't have any water? And Moses goes, well, I don't know what to do. And so he went, to, he sought God. He didn't, he didn't seek the local well driller. Because number one, that takes time. And two, we got two million people and all their livestock. This is going to take more. By then, everybody's dead. He didn't, he didn't seek anything. He just, he's except God. He turned to God and he prayed and he says, uh, we need water. And God said, okay, I shall supply all of your needs. So what does he tell? Get 70 men, dig a hole, go as deep as you can, or right over there. That's where you need to do. No, that's not what he did. He said, take your staff, walk over to that big rock and hit it. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> why, why didn't he think of that? Because it does, that's not the way it works. That's not how it works. Lesson number one. God's provision may not work the way the world says it's going to work. It may just work the way he says it's going to work. He can provide out of nothing. Why? Because he's God. God says, go strike the rock. He goes, okay. I got nothing else to do. I got, you know, I got these two million people ready to lynch me. That's it, though. Nobody else gets grace. <laughs> Check your phones. I got these two million people that are trying, they want to lynch me. I got, and, and God, the God of all the universe, just said, go hit that rock with your staff. What are you going to do? I'm going to go hit the rock with the staff. <laughs> you know what? Might as well. What the heck? As long as might as well go down swinging. He goes over and he hits the rock with the staff. The rock splits. <laughs> bless you. It's one of those mornings, folks. Here we are. Just get it out now. Just let her rip. You know, whatever, whatever you got to do, just do it now. I love people, man. I love it. Praise God. Aren't we good? Isn't it good that we're not uptight? We can laugh at stuff. We can whatever. But we're in church. Yeah, in him is fullness of joy. Amen? Sneeze if you got them. Just sneeze. Just let her rip. Turn your phones on. I don't care. It'll work. <laughs> this is all going to work because the word is anointed and it's going to change lives no matter what else happens. Lights go out. It's still, I still preach. I just have to yell louder. Where was I? And what came out of it? water that's a pretty big stick that's a pretty heavy stick that's a pretty good swing has nothing to do with that does it god said hit the rock the rock split water came out of it not just enough water for him not just enough water for his family but all the water they needed for two million people and their livestock for days it says it says that it went on for days do you know there's a verse in the New Testament? Here's, here, this will blow your mind. Think, look this one up. It's, out, it's in there. It says, it's talking about Jesus and he's the rock. And then it goes on to say that he's the rock who followed them in the desert. What does that mean? I don't know. I've just, I've thought about that one for, for decades, decades. I've thought, what does it mean that he's the rock who followed them? Did that rock go, shh, I don't know. That would be so cool if it did. But I can't prove it, and so I can't write another book. I just can't. I do have one book. No, I'm just kidding. 
God can supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And it's not going to happen by worrying. Because the children of Israel were worrying and fretting and complaining and whining. Did God give uh, Moses the answer because they complained? No, they actually got chewed out for complaining by God. Stop complaining. He said, stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop worrying. I didn't lead you out of Egypt to have you die out here of thirst. He didn't lead you out of your old life to have you die or to go without or to exist without. He brought you out. If he did it for them, they had an old covenant. They had, an, they had the law. They had the old deal. We have a better deal. Paul said it this morning. We're part of the family. What's in God's fridge is, is yours. What's in, his, what's in God's cupboard is yours. And you don't even have to ask. Just, just go get it. We don't have to ask God for everything. He knows that you need stuff. Lord, you know the world needs me to have clothes. Let that one sink in for just a second. I'm not worried about it. It's amazing. I have a wife. Where clothes just appear in my, in my, clo- my closet. New clothes. She goes, sorry. I was going to go. I was heading down a rabbit trail. I'm sorry. But I might as well finish it out. <laughs> Husbands, the, the thing they fear the most, can you try these on? All of these? So we're all in this together, guys. We're all in this together. Praise God. Back where was I again? God shall supply all of our needs, and he can do it out of nothing. Seek first, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's China going to do? What's Russia and China going to do? What's happening in this? What about, what about this? What about that? Oh, the newest thing that I, I actually really, you know, do you know that they're teaching AI to think and to reason? And now they're working on, I just saw an article, so I, I'm way down this rad, that, that rabbit hole. I'm all the way down to, do you know that they're actually growing human skin on, on, on mechanical structures? I'm thinking, do they never watch these AI or these, these movies? Do they not watch the movies? Yeah. I mean, you want something to worry about. That's what I worry about. Terminator. I don't worry about it. I don't, you know what? My God shall supply all my needs. The thing is, He not only will supply all my needs, it says that He'll protect me, He has me covered. He'll lead me. He'll guide me. He'll take me along fertile food places where there's water and there's. He lead me to lie down in the middle of my enemies. I'm going way ahead of myself. Turn over to Romans. Romans chapter one. I want to take us over to the. Get us a little further down this. And then setting a, setting a foundation where we can build on it in the days, weeks to come. Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, or for the sal- to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Let me read that again. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He expects us to live by faith. Now, we have not yet defined faith. I mean, you probably have what you think is, you know, what, what your definition of it is. I want to look at the definition, the, the English definition of faith, but then I want to look at the biblical definition for faith. 
Because we want to establish this on his word. What, what is he saying? What is God saying when he says the word faith? That he expects us to live by faith. If we're going to be righteous, then we're going to, we need to live by faith. Okay, then what is faith? Is faith just believing that he exists? That is a type of faith. It is. It's, it's, a, it's part of faith. The belief that he does exist. Because we don't see him, do we? We don't hear him. We don't, we don't see a physical manifestation all the time. Some people have never seen, because I have people, I have friends, I have people who have said they've seen Jesus. Okay, that's cool. Whatever. I haven't. They've heard a voice. I've never heard a voice. They've, they've, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I won't go any deeper. We don't see, most of us don't see a physical manifestation, but believing that he exists is the beginning. Believing that God exists is the beginning, and is the beginning of knowing him, and how do we do that? We have to do it by faith. We'll get to a verse here in just a second that talks about why it's important to believe even what you don't see. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. Verse 17, I already read that. So here's the definitions, and and they should be up on the screen here. Here's the the dictionary definition of faith. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. It's the complete trust, complete, complete trust, complete trust, complete trust. You wonder why Jesus said, O ye of little faith? Little, O ye of little faith, isn't saying, well, you just don't have enough faith. No, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a statement to say, you're not completely trusting yet. That makes it more home, doesn't it? That hits a little closer to home. To say to somebody, you don't have enough faith, or you don't have, you're, you have little faith, isn't saying you don't have any faith, because the Bible says that, well, we'll get there, I'm not going to get there today, but in the future here, I'm going to give you a heads up. It says that everyone is given a measure of faith. So if everyone's only given a measure of faith, how it would it would seem cruel to say, "Well, you don't have enough faith." Well, then why didn't you give me more? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you haven't been given enough faith. You've been given enough faith for everything you'll ever need it for. We all we've all been given a measure of faith. We've all been given faith to be able to believe. You couldn't believe unless you had faith. But when he says, Oh, you of little faith, he isn't saying that you haven't been given enough faith. He's saying you don't completely trust yet. That's that's actually back on us, doesn't it? Because if he says you don't have enough faith and he's the one who gives us faith, well, it's on him. But when we understand that faith, and this isn't even the biblical, this isn't the biblical definition of faith, this is the dictionary, the American dictionary, English dictionary version of what, of what faith is. Faith is the complete trust. Now I'm going to be honest with you, because I need to be honest with you. There are times when I don't completely trust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. That's this fight of faith. This is a fight of faith. We have to fight this out. Why? Because the world is saying it ain't going to happen. The, you know, the Bible says it's going to happen, and I'm somewhere in the middle getting, getting the battlefield right here. Do I completely trust God? Do I completely trust God? Do I completely believe and trust Him that He'll do what He says He's going to do? That's what's going on in my head. And if I'm worrying... If I'm worrying or you're worrying, it's an indication that you don't completely trust him yet. That's okay. There's grace for that. There's grace for that. He's like, you're human. I get it. There's tomorrow. We'll keep working on this. We'll have Nietzsche preach another sermon on faith. We'll build that faith. Because how does faith build? How does faith build? Hearing the word of God. That's in the Bible too. We're going to get to all these verses eventually. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you hear the word of God, the more times you hear the truth, you go, huh, there it is again. I'm starting to believe this. 
And it increases your faith. The, the disciples said, increase our faith. What did Jesus do to increase their faith? I'm not telling you. You have to look it up or we'll get to it. The second definition for faith is a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of religion based on spiritual understanding or grasp rather than proof. You believe something, not just out of thin air. I just, I believe that unicorns exist. Why? Because there's literally no proof that, that unicorns actually exist. But there is proof that God exists. Well, what do you mean? I want to see, I want to see him, right? Just have him pop up right here. No, that's not the kind of proof we're talking about. It's not about seeing with these eyes. It's this. But there is historical proof that this thing, this, the, everything that's written in the Bible, there's historical proof there was a man named Jesus. There is historical proof that he did miracles. Why? We have eyewitness accounts, not just biblical. We have eyewitness accounts from anti or non-Christian writers and, and, and uh, historians who said there was a man named Jesus. I saw him. I heard him preach. His dad was a carpenter. They made implements. I can't remember which, which historian it was. There's, it's actually, you know, 2,000 year old writings that said they, they knew, they saw Jesus preach, and they also knew that his dad was a carpenter and that he built, he built farm implements. It's written down. And the guy wasn't a believer. And that same guy said he did miracles. He goes, I saw the miracles. He claimed to be this, that I don't know about, but I saw what he did. There is historical proof that this actually happened. Okay, so now this actually happened, and we have the written word that says that Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you eternal life. Now you have to make a decision whether you believe it or you don't. Because that's faith. Faith that, okay, he existed, the word is here. Now here's the other thing. When you read the word, the word builds your faith. The more I read the word, even after after 30 some years, the more I read the word, the more I understand this is real. I will stake my life on it. But all I can do is preach about it. You have to make that decision. But there's something inside of you, and that's the Holy Ghost confirms the preaching of the Word. So even as I'm preaching this morning, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of on the fence, or maybe you grew up in a Christian church, but, but you just kind of went, ah, that's, the way I, that's what I did when I was a kid. I was that way. That's what my folks believed. That's what my folks said. Yeah, but my folks were kind of, mine weren't, though. Mine were awesome. <laughs> At some point, though, you're hearing the preaching of the word, and there's something inside of you that's going, yeah, that's right. What he's saying is right. The Bible says that's the Holy Spirit confirming the word in you. He's leading you to the Father. But there's, there's, there's got to be a point where you decide, I believe this, and that's the beginning of faith. Because you're believing something you don't see. We're going to hit that in just a second here. The closest thing that the Bible comes to to offering an exact definition of biblical faith, what, what, what the Bible or what God is saying about faith, is in Hebrews 11. You knew I was going to get there. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This particular passage, we see that the central feature of faith is confidence or trust. Remember, we got we, that's where we started with the definition of faith, is I trust that this is true. Not just trust, like, yep, I believe it's true. It's actually, now I'm going to do something because I trust this so much. I trust him. I trust the word. I trust this, this manifest, this, this uh, truth that, that Jesus died on the cross for me. I not only believe that it happened, but I now believe that that death on that cross 
is going to save me from my sins. That's faith. Faith in the Son of God. I put my trust in Him. Because here's the deal. The Bible says that no man, no one will see heaven unless they come through the Son. No one, not a single person, will get to heaven based on the teachings of Buddha. Not one. Not one person will get into eternity with God by being a good person. Not one person will accidentally get into heaven or into eternity with God. There's only one way. There's only one way to enter it, and it's by putting your faith, your trust, in what Jesus did on that cross. And believing that when you pass from this life into the next, the Bible says that you will know, you, once, I'm, once I'm absent from this body, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. I trust Him, because I ain't got nothing else. Because I know who I am. I know what I was. I know what I'm capable of. I know what, what, that there's nothing in me that's good enough to earn my way there. But I, by faith, trust Him that His Word is true. Jesus, I believe You. I want You to be the Lord of my life. Seeking first the kingdom. And once I do that, man, I just, you know, there must be something to this Jesus thing. Because I didn't tell Paul I was going to be preaching on this today. The Holy Spirit told him, talk about holiness. But in talking about holiness, he talked about becoming a part of the family. And about being, as you, when you're part of the family, everything that's his is yours. Wherever he is, you are. For those of you who've been around for a long time and you know everything I've just said, let me just push this button just for a second. If you are in Christ, if you are, if you are a believer, if you are in Him, you are in heaven. You don't have to wait. You don't have to get there early, Jerry. If anybody doesn't know, Jerry had a heart attack a couple of weeks ago. Praise God, he's still here. God's not done with him yet. Ricky's still here too? I know, I see her. I don't have to just believe it by faith. I can see her right there. Ricky, the same thing. She's down. They said her, her heart just stopped. I asked, who, well, who gave her CPR? And they said, nobody. Just all of a sudden it started again. Why? Because she ain't done yet. You've got to put your faith in Him. The first step of faith, the Bible says, is to repent of your sins. Repent. What does that mean? Name every single one of them and tell them you're sorry for doing it? No. That would take too long. <laughs> and there's stuff I forgot. Repent means this is the direction I'm headed. This is the, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do. Repenting is going, I'm now going to follow Jesus. I'm going in this direction. I'm now, repent means to change your mind, to change your direction. And he said, if I keep looking back going, oh, I wish I could go back there, I'm not fit. That's why I'm like, that's the only way. He's the only way. There's only one way to heaven. Only one way to eternity with God. And that's through Jesus. So repent means to change the way you think. Change your direction. No longer go after That's why you have to make him the Lord of your life. Jesus, you're the Lord. What is Lord? He's the boss. He's in charge. If he tells me to do one thing, then I better go do it. Will he make me do it? Absolutely not. But I need to trust him. There's that word again. We keep coming to trust. I need to have faith that he's leading me in a way that's going to bless me. And I'm going to tell you, now after 35 years, he is. Because the way my life was 35 years ago was a mess. And I just started to obey him. I just started to follow him, to lead and guide. He just, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And he would say, do this, 
do that. Stop doing that. Everybody's worried about the stop doing that's, really? The stop doing that's are the ones that kill you, that take life from you. Stop being that way. Stop hating. Stop coveting. Stop, stop, whatever. But it's also the do this, seek me, read this, study this, pray, pray in this way. When I've done that, Praise God, he's systematically taken me from here to here to here to here to here to here. It's worth it. If you need proof that it's worth it, it's worth it. There's people that have been born again longer than me. Who's been born again longer than 50 years? It's worth it, isn't it? Absolutely worth it. Anybody else? I saw More than 50 years. Is it worth it, Mary? It's worth it. Is it worth it? It's worth it. Guys, it's worth it. You got us old people saying, it's worth it. <laughs> 20 years. People have been born again 20 years. Raise your hand real quick. Born again for, is it worth it? Yeah. Of course it is. Because remember what our lives were like before. Even if we weren't bad people, our lives are better. That's just proof. That's the physical proof. That's where our testimony comes in. I can tell you, I, I sought after my own way, and I've now been seeking after God's way. God's way is better. From this particular passage, we see that the central theme or the central feature of faith is confidence or trust. In the Bible, the object of faith is God and in His promises. We have faith that he's telling us the truth. We have so much faith, we act upon it. Faith is an action. It's a verb. It's not something we have. It's something we do. I trust him so much, I will follow him wherever he leads. That's faith. Because it isn't just believing, and I'm going to end with this, so Brian, you can get ready. Faith is not believing that God can do something. It's believing that he has done something and he will do it. Faith is not just believing that God exists, but that he exists to give me life. Now you can make a choice. You can make a choice right now. We're not going to have the music playing. We're not going to have you come up front. We're not going to have you raise your hands. We're not going to have you close your eyes. But you can make a choice right now. If you are not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're not part of the family of God, you can do it right this second. And it starts with a choice. It's choosing, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to believe this. Every one of us who are believers had to make that choice. I believe this. I'm I'm believing what's being said here. I'm believing that Jesus is the only way. I want to follow him. You first have to make a choice in your heart. Secondly, you have to confess him with your mouth. Now, I'm not going to have you stand up going, hey, I No, the way you confess him with your mouth is you tell somebody. You tell somebody. You tell the person you came with. You tell the person you didn't come with. You tell one of the elders, because the elders will be up front here in just a minute for prayer or whatever. They would love it if you came up and said, hey, just want to let you know I made a choice for Christ just now. I want him to be Lord of my life. You confess him with your mouth. And thirdly, you allow him to be the Lord of your life. Now, you can do that through a prayer. But as you have already said, it's not a a religious ritual. It's a choice, and it's it's an action. You act upon it. When I came back to the Lord, I was all by myself, sitting on a chair in in my bedroom, reading the Bible, convicted to the ground. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I repented. I'm changing. I want to change. I want to follow you. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. That all happened with no music, no people, no altar call, no. That all happened. And the next Monday, I had to tell somebody. I had to tell. You know, it's not like one of the elders. They'll love it, man. If If you come up and tell them, they're going to love it. Yeah, we're rejoicing. This is wonderful. The guy I had to tell was an old friend who wanted me to go partying that night. And I told him I couldn't. 
And he said, why not? I said, because I just made Jesus the Lord of my life and I can't do that anymore. I had to confess him to somebody who was not happy for me. He thought I was nuts. And he told me so. And then he laughed at me. Do it with one of these guys. <laughs> so much easier. Because that, that'll make Monday easier. But you confess him. You say, this is what I believe from now on. And you live it. You actually live it. Amen? Well, good morning. Um, for those who are new, I, I guess we haven't said this in a while. Uh, we have an offering teaching every week. It's not long. It's just to remind us of um, how important it is to support the work of God and, and some biblical truth. So today, my offering teaching is on how do we get, how do we obtain the abundance of God in our lives, right? Well, our abundance is in our seed. We're all given seed in our lives, talents, abilities. Uh, it's an agricultural principle that people who've been farmers know forever. You don't have a crop without a seed, right? And many times abundance is looked upon in the body of Christ as a bad thing. Oh my gosh, you know, they have too much. I don't have enough. Well, a farmer knows that if he wants to get more, if he wants to have an abundance of a harvest, he must sow more seeds, right? So in the, in the body of Christ, somehow we've gotten to where it's, it's not a good thing. But in this church, we believe in abundance. We believe in sowing. Not for us, but for us and others. Because the body of Christ is here to serve other people. So our abundance is built in the seed that we've been given and the seed we sow. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. There's a lot of alls there, right? He has given us all grace, but it's in the seed. We have to act on that. Just like faith, we have to act on the seeds that we've been given. So Paul repeats the truth in the area of giving. In 2 Corinthians 9.6, just a couple verses before that, says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? That's, that's a principle. That's principle of the word, but it's also principle in the world. If we don't sow seed, we don't have a harvest. Uh, and he speaks of, Paul speaks of money and resources as seed. And so what does a seed do? It reproduces. It has a harvest according to its kind. So what is the harvest? The promise that God gives us of all grace abounding, that the giver has all sufficiently sufficiency in all things in order to do more good works. Right? If we have just enough to get by, if we have just enough for, for ourselves and our family, we don't have the ability to be a blessing to other people. I mean, we, financially anyway. All of us have time, but that's a, that's another principle of sowing. But as we receive more and as we receive, receive greater abundance, we have the ability to bless other people even greater. So grace is God's provision for our every need spirit, soul, and body. Though grace exists for all of us, not all of us are walking in grace. Sometimes we are not walking in abundance or sufficiency because maybe we're not following God's leading in, in sowing. Maybe we haven't gotten to the point where we can sow as abundantly as we, we should. But the grace is in the seed, right? The abundance is in our seed. The abundance is already there in us waiting to be sown and waiting to be released to the people around us. So it's not just finances. I mean, we can give love, forgiveness, wisdom, time, service, and our finances. But these are all seeds that are the fruit of righteousness. Because when we, look, as Pastor John said, when we exercise our faith and we receive Christ, we are made righteous. And the seed is there 
in that righteousness. God's blessing on our seeds that we sow can be manifest in many ways. We can have greater opportunities in business or ministry. We can receive promotion. We can have creative ideas. We can um, even have unexpected financial favors. But it's all part of the seed. But it's not a formula, right? It's a lifestyle. As we, as we sow the seeds that God has given us in all the areas of our life, He provides the increase. And the increase is so that we serve other people, that we serve our families, we serve the people around us. Some harvests come quickly, right? Rhubarb comes up quickly in the ground, right? But other things come later. I'm not familiar with anything other, but yeah. But I do know it's there early. But by faith and patience, um, we inherit our promises in due time if we sow and we do not grow weary. Amen? So Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's the thing. we Faith allows us to stand with our seed. It allows us to understand that there's seed, there's time, and then there's harvest. So when our giving is an extension of our prosperous heart, the sowing will be constant because we know who our source is. God is our source for everything good. Right? We, we say that a lot here. Everything good comes from God. And we can live to give. We have entered into the heart of God. The harvests become constant as well. We understand that if God gets it to us and through us, he'll continue to get it to us and through us. Amen? So all grace will abound to us, and God will supply all of our need and even more for every goal. That is what abundant life is. We live to give. Amen? Father God, we do thank you that you have given so much to us, and you've also given so much through us. Father, we thank you for the seeds that you've given each of us through our minds, our abilities, our talents, and our finances. And Father, we thank you that as we sow those seeds, we receive an abundant harvest. Father, we thank you for each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name, amen.